Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be back, and it's a joy to have you in our service today. And um, we're thankful for your prayers on our behalf while we're away. For those of you who are praying that we would come back, thank you very much. <laughs> for those of you who are praying otherwise, remember, God only hears the prayers of the righteous. Happy 34th, Bahamas. Andrea, now you can say you are 30-something and really be telling the truth. All right. Good to be able to celebrate this day. That's before we get into our message, though. We want to encourage you to come out this evening. We are going to be showing a film, a video on Martin Luther. If I were to ask you right now why... And I'm saying this in a historical fashion, okay? So I hope no one is offended by this. But if I were to ask you, why aren't most of you Roman Catholics today? What would you say? Most wouldn't know. But Martin Luther, if you ever had a freedom fight fighter, was the man. He fought for the freedom of religion in a real sense. And we are going to be, in the next few months, be doing different things to give you a history of Christianity. While we're not Roman Catholics, for instance, tonight. And it's an important thing for you to understand. Where did we get our Bible? How did we come? Why don't we have more books in our Bible as, other, as Roman Catholics, for instance, do, and so on? We're going to be looking at the history of Christianity because we believe that in the day in which we live, we need to be able to defend the faith. We need not only to know what we believe, but why we believe it. And I believe going back to our roots will help us to get this appreciation and we've selected, they have a modern version of Martin Luther out. It came out last year or year before. Real nice color, pretty, and everything else, but it's still not as good as the original one, black and white. This is a forceful, powerful movie. And so we're going to show that this evening. The first part of it, it's a, it's a long film, so we'll show one part tonight and one part two weeks from tonight because we're going to have some discussion on the second week talking about this. So I invite you to come out. The original Martin Luther, it's in black and white, but I think it will benefit your faith quite a bit. Also, I want to invite our leaders again, Calvary Bible especially, to <clears throat> think seriously about attending the, the theological classes, theology classes beginning tomorrow at Teleos. This also deals with faith, how we guard the scriptures. In fact, we're talking about authority where do we go for authority? Um, how do we know that the Bible is really the word of God? Why don't we have one person who tells us what the Bible means? How do we know that the words that we have in Scripture are indeed the words of God? This is what we'll be talking about. And I believe... <clears throat> as teachers and leaders of our people, young people especially today, we need to have these answers. Because these are the questions that our young people are, are, are asking today. 
They're not asking the same questions they did years ago. About, you know, was the, way, was the fish that swallowed Jonah a whale and things like that. They're not asking those questions. Where did we get our Bible from? Why isn't the Gospel of Judas in our Bible? And so on. And uh, we encourage our leaders to come out to uh, go to this series of discussions. I think it's important for you. Okay. Let me ask you something. <clears throat> what do you think it was that motivated our political leaders to choose the way of independence from Britain, from, from Britain in 1973? What do you think was their primary motivation? Now, I want you to think. Do you think it was political ideology only? I don't think so, although I'm sure it was there. I don't think it was the primary motivation, political ideology. Do you think it was for social advancement? I believe that was there, but I don't think that was the primary motivation either. Was it for religious freedom? Definitely not. We had that even before independence. Was it just because of Bahamian ego? I believe that was there too. But I don't believe that was the primary motivation either. I believe that their primary motivation is clearly spelled out for us in Webster's definition of the word independent. So let me read it to you. This is a definition from Webster's dictionary of the word independent. It means relying only on oneself or one's own abilities, judgments, and so on. It means self-confident, self-reliant. It means to be free from the influence, the control, or determination of another or others. It means to be free from the rule of another. It means to be free from the controlling or governing of others and to be controlled and governed only by oneself. Independence means to be self-governing. And so from this definition, we see then that freedom is the underlying motivation for independence. Freedom. In fact, independence, by definition anyway, is freedom. Independence is freedom. And so I believe that our political leaders were motivated by the need to be free from dependence upon what we call at that time the mother country. A country that they believed had kept them subjugated and enslaved to their way of doing things for more than 200 years. In fact, almost 300. They wanted to be free from that control. They wanted freedom. Independence, then, is freedom from all external restraints or authority. This is a condition, I believe, this is a position 
that all human beings seem to be inherently inclined to seek with much fervor. Everyone wants to be free in some form or fashion. Countries want to be free. They want to be independent. Do you know that during this century that more countries have become independent than any other time in the history of the world, especially in Africa? And while that was going on in Africa, of course, that's the same time the Bahamas came on board the ship called Independence. Countries want to be independent. Institutions want to be independent. Calvary Bible Church is an independent church. Meaning self-government. Self-sourced. Financed, if you want. Individuals want to become independent. Every person in here who's still in their teens want to be independent. Young people want to be free of the control of their parents. Institutions, countries, individuals, there seems to be an inherent desire to be independent. To be free from the control of anyone other than ourselves. But I want to propose to you this morning that although independence may be good for a country in its relationship with other countries or with regard to institutions with other institutions or even with individuals in relationship to other individuals, I want to suggest to you this morning, in fact, I want to state very boldly, Independence is never good for a person in his relationship to God. Independence is never good for a person in his relationship to God. Do you realize that the major reason why most people don't come to Christ is because of their desire to be independent? They want to run God, their lives, their way, not God's way. Do you know what the first sin was? The sin of acting independently of God. But something that is there within us to be independent of God. My friends, as we celebrate this 34th independence of the Bahamas, we should realize that man should never be free from the control of God in his life. This is, in fact, as I said, the basic cause for both the personal, domestic, social, religious, and economic ills of mankind, a desire to be free from the control of God. This search for freedom is a search for freedom that is not true freedom. You could be free and still be enslaved if you don't have the right freedom. You can have freedom in name only, but not in actuality. And so this morning I want to say to you that man's spiritual lostness is essentially the result of his chosen independency of God. Let me put it another way. This may sound paradoxical, but it's true nonetheless. 
man is not really free or independent until he ratifies his declaration of dependency upon God through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Because that's my thesis for this morning. Man, let me put it more personally. We, you, you are not really free or independent until you ratify your declaration of dependency upon God through Jesus Christ. In other words, the only way you can be free, really free, is by becoming dependent upon God. Now we're going to develop this more fully because I'm doing a study now, an intensive study of slavery. Because in August, what is it, the 6th, we'll celebrate the abolition of slavery. Isn't that right? But do you know something? The scripture teaches that one of the highest levels of discipleship is being a slave to Jesus Christ. I was reading that the other day when I was thinking about I said, why would God use that metaphor, that kind of illustration to talk about Christians? And I'm learning some fascinating things about slavery, not only from Scripture, but from history as well. Do you know, for instance, that the United States represents only 5% of worldwide slavery? Do you know that? Most of the time we talk about slavery, what do we talk about? United States and England. But they represent only 5% of worldwide slavery. 80% of slavery today is done within the Arab and Muslim lands. Learning some fascinating things. And we want to make the presentation of that in August. But I want to say here, man is not really, you are not really free or independent until you ratify, you declare your dependency upon God through Jesus Christ. Until you do that, you are still enslaved. Maybe not to England, but one who's more detrimental to your spiritual life and that's the devil I want you to turn with me to a passage of scripture that speaks of this truth and it's in John chapter 8 we're going to begin reading from verse 30 John chapter 8 verse 30 we'll pick up in the midst of the story it says so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him notice now they already believed, according to this text. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. This is a tremendous statement here of what a, defining what a Christian is. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. The King James says you are true disciples, true disciples indeed. Notice carefully now, look at the text. Jesus is stating the essence of what it means to be a genuine believer in him. What is it? A true believer disciple is one who continually obeys the word of God. Take a look at the text. A true believer disciple is one who continually obeys the word of God. That's what it means when he says, who believes in my word. It means on a continual basis. And the belief has the idea of obedience. And so a true believer disciple is one who continually obeys the word of God. 
Jesus is drawing a line in the sand here, as it were. You see, his teachings were drawing and attracting many people to him. They were coming from all over the place. They liked most of the things that he said, especially about the coming kingdom. But John here shows that it was possible to believe in the message of repentance and the kingdom without truly being born again. In fact, if you go over to John chapter 6, you have it clearly stated. All of his disciples were coming and then he gave this beautiful talk about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And a lot of those who called themselves disciples, who were believers in him, turned away and did not follow him anymore. His sayings were too hard. They were not true believers, although they were called disciples. Not everybody called disciple in the scriptures are true disciples. Jesus says those who are true disciples are those who are continually obeying my word. Many left him. Because of his hard sayings. And so he's saying it's only those who continue to believe and to obey what I have said. Who are truly my disciples. And so a true disciple is one who continually obeys his word in his or her daily life. In other words, obedience to the word of God is a way of life for true believers. It's not a spasmodic thing. It's not on today, off tomorrow. No, 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 no. Not a true believer. You're marked, you're identified, you're characterized by continually obeying the word of God every day of your life. What is spasmodic is a sin, is a disobedience, not the other way around. But now notice the result of being a true disciple. Now notice carefully, this is only the result of being a true disciple. Look at the word. Verse 32. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. But notice, knowing that truth and experiencing that freedom only comes after you continually obey or as you continually obey the word of God. Now the truth here is not only the teaching concerning the person and work of Christ. It's not just the words we say about him, although these are essential elements. The knowing here also refers to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who says elsewhere, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It has to do with a personal relationship. I believe in him, and therefore I am following him. I am obeying him. I have this relationship with him. It's not just believing these creeds, not just believing these statements. It's a relationship. And that relationship is one that goes on every day. It's an intimate relationship, and I get to know him more. Notice now the result of this relationship. The truth shall make you free. What kind of freedom is he talking about? We free, man. We celebrating 34 years in the band. We free. Are you? Are you really free? The freedom that really means something? What kind of freedom is Jesus talking about? Listen to what some of the professing believers thought he was talking about. These Jews, who he's talking to the Jews who believed on him. He says, now, unless you continue to obey my word, you'll never be free. 
Now notice now, verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. Now you ever talk about a bold-faced lie in scripture? That's one. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? What were, they, what were these disciples thinking about? They were thinking about political freedom. Jesus was talking, however, about the most important freedom of all. Spiritual freedom. You see, if these would really grasp his message... Jesus is saying you would find salvation truth. Because knowing and appropriating this truth, this salvation truth, will liberate them from spiritual bondage. That's what Jesus was teaching them. You see, the blindness of these Jewish disciples who believed in Jesus... was the fact that they were unaware of the true spiritual condition before God. Their blindness to their spiritual state clouded the true state of their political dilemma. They forgot about their slavery in Egypt. They forgot about their subjugation to other nations during the time of the judges. They forgot about their exile in Babylon. They forgot that even at the time that they were talking, they were under bondage to Rome. But in spite of this, they said, we were never in bondage to any man. They had no sense of their bondage to sin at all. They thought that their ancestral and political Inheritance was the basis for their salvation. They actually believed that their physical and ancestral relationship to Abraham exempted them from spiritual danger. We the people of God. Because we belong to Abraham. We as a Jew. Because we as a Jewish nation. And so we could put that in modern terms today. In, in Bahamian terms. The many... Of us who believe like, just like this. They believe that because they were citizens of a Christian nation, Jewish nation. That they were personally okay with God. Jesus had to do something in their lives to show them that they were wrong. He had to de-Jewanize them. Do you know what it means to de-Jewanize? is to cause them to realize that not everyone who say they are Jew is a Jew. Paul picks it up in Romans. He had to show them just because you're a Jew as a nation doesn't mean that you're automatically a part of the family of God. I believe today on this 34th anniversary of our independence, we need to de-Christianize Many Bahamians. Many Bahamians who will be joyously celebrating their 34 years of political freedom and living in a Christian country 
need to undergo the same process that Jesus caused these people to undergo if they are to true if they are to see their true condition before God. The Hanians need to be de-Christianized if many of them are going to be saved. Because they are under the same false illusion that these Jewish believers were in Jesus' day. They thought that their nationality made them okay with God. It's amazing how many Christians actually believe. And I know this is true because I've been confronted with it. So many Christians actually believe that they are Christians simply because they are Bahamians. Simply because the framers of our Constitution concluded in its preamble that government is to have, and I quote now, an abiding respect for Christian values and rule of law and to recognize the supremacy of God. And that they would, to quote the final sentence of the preamble to our Constitution, they would hereby provide by these articles for the indivisible unity and creation under God of the commonwealth of the Bahamas. Friends, listen, as amazing as it may seem, some Bahamians have taken these words Cause them to believe that they have been made fit for the kingdom of God. These words in the Constitution have constituted them not only citizens of the Bahamas, but citizens of the kingdom of God, because we as a Christian nation. My friends, let me say this to you this morning. If it's one thing the Bahamas is not, It's a Christian nation. Freedom from England does not automatically make us Christian. Maybe religious. You were that anyway. But not Christians. And friends, Christianity has to do with one's personal relationship to God. Not to a nation or a specific ethnic entity. We need to understand. Let's take a look. In a little bit more tail, detail of how Jesus himself dealt with this situation. And I want you to understand, this is exactly what he's dealing with. This misconstrued idea that being in a Christian country so-called makes us Christian. Jesus deals with that here. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. That means he's got something important to say. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does, however, remain forever. And so if the son, who is the truth, makes you free, you will be free indeed. A true disciple, a disciple indeed, is one who obeys continually the word of God. One who is truly freed is one who is made freed by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, not a constitution. Now, when Jesus says, truly, truly, he gives us notice that he's about to make a profound and vital truth. What is this truth he's saying? He's saying that anyone who continually commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin here is personified as a hard task master. Master 
every individual who's not being freed by Jesus Christ. Notice the emphasis is upon continually commits. It's in present tense, indicating a way of life, not just an occasional experience. It is the opposite of a true believer disciple. A true believer disciple is one who is freed because he's always obeying the word of God. But one who's enslaved to sin is one who's always obeying his master to commit that sin. Jesus is saying, if you are always committing sin, then sin is your master. So we could talk about the Bahamas being a Christian nation all we like. But there's nowhere in the world you'll go and they will say that let's exalt the Bahamas because it's a righteous nation. But you look at the books and you'll see that they will look at the Bahamas as a place of sin and vice and corruption. It's a reproach. So then, we've been freed from our master, Great Britain. But whose slave are you now? Whose slave am I? That's what he's talking about. We're not free at all if we're not freed by the Son of God who's the way, the truth, and the life. You are still enslaved to doing what your master wants you to do. No matter what you think your political status may be. Say again then, independence from England does not automatically make you or me a believer in Jesus Christ. No matter what the Constitution says. By the way, it doesn't say that. But for those of you who may misconstrue it, to say that, it doesn't say it. It doesn't mean it. And even if it did say it, it couldn't be true. You see, these Jewish believers in Christ were holding on to a truth that was not true truth. Oh yeah, today you have to look for true truth. In fact, even when Jesus talks about himself being the truth, he's always talking in opposition to the one who is not the truth. When he says, I am the vine, he's always contrasting himself with someone who is not the true vine. I am the true vine. There are many things that are going today for truth. The true truth is only to be found in the Word of God and in the Son of God. They were Jews, but they were still enslaved to sin. They were Jews who were enslaved to another master rather than Rome. And no matter how free they thought they were, they were enslaved to a hard taskmaster. And so is every one of you who have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as Savior. You're still enslaved. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how much money you have. If you've not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, you're still a slave to sin, Satan. Scriptures are clear. In verse 35, then, Jesus alludes to Ishmael. He's a slave son of Abraham. Most of the trouble we have today is because of the same situation. He was cast out of Abraham's house because he was not a true son. Not the true son of faith. So are those who are sinners in dangers of being cast out of the kingdom. Who thinks that they're okay because of a relationship. But it's not a true one. 
Isaac was a son who belonged. He was a son of faith and therefore remained in the house. And so Jesus is asking these Jewish believers, whose son are you? Are you a descendant of the true son? Or the false son? The son of faith? The son of works. See, that's what independence is. Works. I trying to do my own thing before God. Whose son are you? Who are you related to? That's the question we should ask today. Rather than whether we're related to England or someone else. Who are we related to? Jesus said, Ishmael, the slave. Or Isaac, the true son. Who are you related to today? Jesus Christ or the devil? Remember he tells these same people, you are of your father, the devil. These are some of the same people who said, we are of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Jesus had to de-Jewanize them the same way we have to de-Christianize Bahamians to see their true state before God. And so the issue is not physical genealogy, but spiritual kinship. Jesus is the true son and seed of Abraham and God's house or God's kingdom. And so the son of a family has permanent status within it. He's there forever. Jesus, extended this, Jesus extends this analogy by stating that while a son is rightfully a partaker of family privileges, it is only the son who can confer or give them. Ishmael was a son, but he wasn't the son. All the blessing Ishmael's got, and he did get them, came from the son, not a son. We have to be sure that our relationship is with the true son. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To hope for real freedom, then does not lie in the ancestry of Abraham, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And that still stands today, beloved. Our spiritual condition does not lie with any political relationship we have, independent or otherwise. It rests solely upon our relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ. And you see, if you really grasp the message of Christ... You would find salvation truth. That's what he was telling these Jews. Knowing and appropriating this salvation truth would liberate them from this spiritual bondage. And Jesus is saying, that's true freedom. This is freedom indeed. This is a freedom that lasts. A freedom that is given by Jesus Christ. What is this? A freedom from the bondage of sin. Have you experienced that? If you haven't, my friend, you could celebrate all you like on this 34th, but you still won't be free. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, quote, God chose you, speaking to believers, to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and belief of the truth. This scripture reveals that salvation is a result of personal belief in God's truth claims, especially as seen in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Salvation is to be found in the truth claims of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and what he continues to do for us. America celebrates their anniversary almost the same time we do ours. America is 231 years old, I think, as a nation. But you know something? She still has the fight to keep the freedom she won in 1776. This is true both nationally and domestically. Court battles are being fought on a daily basis in the United States of America. To do what? To maintain freedom of speech, freedom of worship, and freedom of the press. It still goes on. The fight still goes on. The enemy is still in the land. They're not free yet. Not really free. Is there any difference in the Bahamas? No. We are fighting an ongoing battle as well to maintain true political freedom. And perhaps not so much from the outside as from the inside. In no area of our lives is absolute freedom really enjoyed. And any part of it can be taken away from us by the whim of an unscrupulous politician. I've heard a teacher say recently, the teacher now, that we shouldn't have prayer in schools. We say, boy, that's foolishness. We can always have prayer in our schools. We can always have Bible in our schools. We can always have religious knowledge in our schools. Do you know that's what America said? Do you know that every major university, Ivy League, in other words, is one started by Christians to educate preachers to preach the word? Do you know that? You see, we act as though because we're in the Bahamas now, all of these freedoms are going to be there automatically because we is Bahamians. Not all Bahamians think the way you think. And the ones with the loudest mouth and the more money is going to win. You hear what I say? Look at it yourself. But what's going on in our community today? Things that are allowed was never even dreamt of being allowed 25 years ago. And becoming worse every day. In no era of our lives, is it absolutely, are we absolutely free? Can, do we, can we enjoy the freedom of this beautiful land that God has given to us? Well, when you go, getting ready to go on the beach, what do you have to do before you leave home? Lock up your fortress. Isn't that right? Bars all around. When you go sit on the beach, you can't go too far from your towel. They'll teeth your towel. They stole mine. They'll teeth your tennis. They stole mine. They stole my apple out of a tennis I had on the beach. Anywhere we go, we on the lookout. Nobody wants to go out in the night. Nobody wants to go walk the beautiful beaches that we have. This beautiful, nobody. Why? Are we free? No. Because we have people who are still enslaved to sin. And that's why we're not free to enjoy the tranquility of this beautiful place. That's why Christians are so important. Who is it who's supposed to change 
the moral situation. Is it the law? Well, maybe. But from a biblical point of view, do you know who's responsible? How many of you claim to be genuine Christians? Let me see your hand. Let me see if you're afraid to say that. Genuine Christians. Well, you're the ones who are responsible. You're the ones who are responsible to change the immorality, all the corruption. Do you lie to your boss? Do you thief from your boss? Do you go late back when you're supposed to go early? All kinds of things. How do you handle your lifestyle? You and I are supposed to be what? The salt of the earth. Salt is no good in the shaker. It's amazing how we come here in this place and we let our light shine towards one another. We don't need that light. It's the people out there who needs the light. But you know something? That's when we turn it off. We turn it on when we come in where all the lights are. And as soon as we get out in the darkness, we turn it off and become a part of the darkness. The Hamans will never be able to enjoy the kind of spiritual and moral freedom that we should until every Christian is on a continual basis being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are rubbing the salt into where the corruption is. We are letting the light shine where the darkness is. That's the only way it's going to happen. You see, Jesus Christ won the battle for man's independence and freedom from sin more than 2,000 years ago. That's what we should be celebrating. He won that independence on a rugged hill called Golgotha, outside of Jerusalem. And he began his declaration of freedom from sin for mankind with the words, It is finished! And Jesus Christ hung there on the cross. And after God the Father, the triune God, had meted out upon him punishment for man's sin, Jesus Christ cried with a loud voice, It is finished! At that moment, all those who trust in him Became free from the power of sin. Do we celebrate that? No. Very really. Very few of us celebrate our spiritual birthday the way we do our physical. But yet, that's the greatest, greatest moment of our lives. That's truly our day of independence, freedom from the master of sin. Now, what kind of freedom results in faith in Christ? Well, first of all, very quickly, it means freedom from sin. Forgiveness, freedom from the penalty of sin. Paul says in Acts 13, 38, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. Oh, friends, close your eye and think upon that. The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness means to be released from, to have freedom from. Be forgiven of our sin. This is one kind of freedom we need to have at any cost, and it costs Jesus Christ his life. But it also means being released from the conscience of sin. 
The author of the book of Hebrews makes this quite clear in chapter 10 where he states that the blood of Christ, unlike the blood of animal sacrifices, cleanses our conscience of all sin. From the guilt of sin, that is. In Christ, we are freed. We are released from a guilty conscience. What a glorious freedom that is. To be independent of a guilty conscience. But third, it also means being energized to be victors over sin. Paul states triumphantly in Galatians 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What is a yoke of slavery? The fact that you were made subjects to sin. You had to sin. But that is not true anymore. Jesus Christ has given you independence of sin. Sin has no more power over you. But then finally, it also means being evicted from the very presence of sin. Listen to these wonderful words of hope by the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now notice this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's coming a time when we will be evicted from the very presence of sin. No more. No more sin. Free from the very presence of sin. And my friends, this is the moment. This is the time when Jesus comes back for us. That we will be free at last. As the song says, great God Almighty, free at last. F, forgiveness of sin. R, release from the conscience of sin. E, energized to be victors over sin. E, evicted from the presence of sin. That's freedom. That's freedom indeed. My friends, do you have it? Let me close with this illustration. I've been doing some study on the Bahamas, independence and slavery and all of that. And I came across an article by T.J. Madigan called Interesting Facts About the Bahamian Flag. Listen as I quote this as we close. The national flag of the Bahamas should never be flown above any other national flag. As this would advocate superiority or conversely inferiority of one flag or nation over another. The Bahamian flag should also never be allowed to drag along the ground or should be removed and replaced when it has faded or been tattered. Suitable concern and consideration must always be taken to ensure that the Bahamian flag flown the correct way up. So always be sure it's done properly. Notice, it should be hoisted briskly and lowered ceremoniously. The Bahamian flag that is no longer fit for display should be disposed of in a dignified way, such as burning in private with all due care and respect. The Bahamian flag is hoisted to a half of the potential height of the pole to signify grief and mourning. Flying the flag upside down indicates distress. 
tomorrow, actually 12 a.m. on Tuesday morning, we will once again hoist very briskly the Bahamian flag to celebrate our 34th year of political freedom from Great Britain. And they will do it briskly and ceremoniously. But let me ask you something now as we close our message today. From a spiritual point of view, both individually and nationally, how should the Bahamian flag really be raised today? Briskly, half mass, or upside down? As always, Sila, think and act on these things. Father, thank you for your word. We pray today that your word on freedom in Jesus Christ might find good soil in our hearts. May we be true disciples who continually obey your word because we have found freedom in Christ and we are independent of sin because of the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. And all of God's people said, Amen.